Oh God, in the stillness, come meet us. Amen. So I want to begin this morning just by saying thank you to all of you for the warm welcome that you have already shared just in these first few days with myself and my family. Um, it, is, it is always with many emotions that a pastor starts at a new congregation, and I know that those mixture of emotions are also present in the congregation itself, right? As we begin this journey together, we are getting to know one another, and so just as much as we come this morning with some grief and sadness over people and places that we have left behind, we know that you also have some sadness in your hearts uh, for relationships and people. Uh, as Pastor Kent and Trudy have moved on to a new place of ministry. And yet, uh, my family and I also begin this morning with much hope and excitement and anticipation for the relationships that we will build here and the opportunity to be part of this community. And I would imagine that you also may feel a bit of hope and excitement uh, for a new beginning that we will make together. And as I think about transitions, there are some words from um, Teresa Salaki that encourage me. It says, light precedes every transition, whether at the end of a tunnel, through a crack in the door, or the flash of an idea. It's always there, heralding a new beginning. And I love this because I think of how light reminds me of new life, of new birth, of, of something yet to come of something yet to hope for. And even in the hardest and darkest moments of life, we see light, right? And the light of Christ that leads our way and gives us that hope no matter what. But the other thing that comes to my mind as I begin um, to get to know you and you begin to, know, to get to know me is uh, that, that good old-fashioned connect the dots. You guys remember those? Maybe if you're a kid, you still do them. But those of us who used to be kids, we might remember doing connect the dots. And you know the simple ones like this where you can already tell what it's going to be before you connect the dots. And you don't even need the numbers, but you know it's a cat, right? This is a cat. But then there's also um, like connect the dots, the extreme version. And they look more like this. And you're sort of like... What is that? And you can spend hours even just trying to find the next number, right? Figuring out where you're supposed to draw that line. And when I think about the process of you all getting to know me and me getting to know you, it reminds me a lot of an extreme version of Connect the Dots, right? You'll be, over the next few weeks and months and probably even years, learning various things about me and connecting the dots about who I am as a person, as a mom, as a wife, as a friend, as a Christian, as a pastor, as a leader in this place. But I will also be doing the same for you, right? I'm going to be connecting the dots for each of you in your individual lives and trying to figure out who you are as individual people, but also connecting the dots to see who are we as College Hill United Methodist Church. Who, who are we? What is our corporate identity together? So this is the journey that we very much begin today. And one of the ways that I hope to begin connecting the dots about who you are is through those small group gatherings, which I will say again, sign up for one today if you have not done so already. But I also requested for you all, and I know Scott Parrish has been putting the word out about bringing in a picture of yourself or your family, doing
doing something you love, a professional photo, whatever, whatever will tell me something about who you are, what you love to do, what your education is, your professional life, that will help me as I get to know you. And Robin Bartley, who served as our liturgist this morning, she helped me unload some books in my office this uh, past couple weeks. And she said, you should do one of those for us too, Jill. And so I didn't make like 400 copies of a picture, but I am gonna show some pictures up on the screen this morning and tell you a little bit about my family. And so here's a picture of myself with my husband, Chali, and our daughter, Mapalo. And then a picture of Mapalo eating a donut, one of her favorite special treats for breakfast. <laughs> and then um, go ahead to that next one. There, there is also um, Mapalo and I and Chali and Mapalo. And then if you'll show the last one to David. Uh, we went to see the solar eclipse last August with my family, which was like, wow, that was like an otherworldly experience, I think, like chilling in an amazing way. And then the other picture is a picture of um, some of our family on both sides, some of my family as well as some of Charlie's family, when we had the opportunity to be all together this past Christmas. But my husband um, goes by Charlie because uh, he is also an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. And he right now has the, the great honor and privilege of serving on conference staff. So he works with churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. He is the Mercy and Justice Coordinator. So he is working with congregations and pastors, um, looking at missional opportunities, um, volunteers in mission, cross-cultural ministries, what to do in changing neighborhoods. He works with all of our peace and justice and advocacy ministries, as well as our international partnerships as an annual conference. And uh, we love that because not only it uses his gifts well, but also it means that we get to be uh, together, worshiping together as a family in the same local church on a Sunday morning. And we are excited about that opportunity as well. And so my husband is originally from Zambia, and he speaks like six languages, which is pretty amazing. Something I only aspire to. I have a couple under my belt, but not that many. Um, and so I, I know that he is also excited to get to know you. And then our daughter, Mapalo, is six, and she just finished kindergarten this past year. And a few things that she likes to do, she loves to do art and draw and create almost anything out of anything. She likes music, too. Uh, she likes to buy new things. That's, that's a passion. And uh, she also, uh, we also love to travel as a family. We love to um, spend time together just having lazy days in our pajamas all day. We love to do that too, just as much as we love to get out and go see things and do things. We love um, doing puzzles and picnics and all kinds of fun things like that. That's a little bit of a glimpse into um, who we are as a family. So I am originally from Missouri, and I grew up in a small town there, and uh, the four years ago is when we moved here to Wichita, uh, Kansas, and we moved here from St. Louis, Missouri, which is where we were, my husband and I were serving at that time. We moved because Chelly started his position uh, with the Great Plains Conference, and we're excited to um, continue living and, and getting to know this beautiful city. So as I reflect, um, over those uh, years and over my journey, I want to share just a bit about my call to ministry this morning. That I began to hear a call to ministry when I was in high school. And um, I just wasn't sure that I wanted to do that pastor thing. And so I just 
put it on a list of like seven helping professions. So if you asked me what I was going to do when I was in, you know, graduating from high school, I'd say, well, you know, I might be a counselor or I might be a teacher or I might be a social worker or I might be a pastor or I might be, you know, and I would just sort of gloss over it and go on to other things. But even at that time in my life, there were people who encouraged me and named that call for me and said, you know, you might think about um, going into ministry, Jill. So I, I, you know, put it on my list, but I wasn't sure that I really, really wanted to do it. And yet I remember very much feeling like God just kept pursuing me. This thought kept coming back. And it was a few years later when I was a sophomore in college that I ended up accepting my call to ministry. And yet I didn't know what that looked like, right? So it was like I said, okay, I'll go to seminary. I'll go get the, the education that I need. But I don't know really if I still want to be a pastor. I'm gonna, I'll do ministry of some kind, okay? And so I knew very much that I was called somehow to serve through the church. But I also felt this strong call to social justice. And I wondered if maybe I should just go work for a nonprofit agency or just have another job and be an activist on the side, something like that. Over the years, there were several things that really deeply formed me. One of those was my involvement with Heifer International, that I went um, to their learning center in Perryville, Arkansas when I was in high school. And then I went back when I was in college and spent a whole summer um, working as an education intern there and teaching people about um, world hunger and global poverty. And the things that I learned from working with them were very much transformational to me, um, both in my personal life, but also in what I believe that we are called to as Christian people. Um, so have an undergraduate degree in Spanish, and I've lived and traveled in uh, several Spanish-speaking countries. And so uh, one of the ways that I ended up using that gift was um, during seminary, Charlie and I, actually, we both worked with uh, a low-income Spanish-speaking congregation that was primarily first-generation immigrants. And um, that was an incredibly uh, formative experience for both of us. Um, seminary also opened my eyes to lots of things we just didn't talk about in my small town growing up, right? There were, there were all kinds of things that, uh, as I began to read and learn, that I became convicted of and that I began to understand gender justice and sexism and heterosexism in ways that I had just never seen before. It was like my eyes were opened. And so by the time I emerged from seminary, I would probably say that I was not only a feminist but also an ally to the LGBTQ community. I kept discerning my call through all of that. And I kept coming back to this quote from Frederick Buechner. The place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So I had first heard this quote when I was at Heifer Ranch, actually, sitting up on an overlook, um, looking out over some of the farmland there, and I, it rolled in my head for years, literally. And I kept wondering, what is my deepest gladness? And, and what is the world's greatest need? And then the, the biggest puzzle, right, was where in the world do those two things meet together? And as I continued pondering um, those questions, I began to realize that for me, what I saw as the world's deepest hunger was, were things like love 
and peace and meaning and hope. And I began to realize that at least for me, that I had found those things through my faith, through relationship with God. And that I began to realize that my greatest passion was to figure out how to use my gifts to share the love of God, the great, deep love of God. And so, this brings me to my own fierce convictions. You know, each one of us is on a journey of faith. And I am on a journey of faith just as much as each of you are on a journey of faith. There are things that I doubt. There are things that I've let go of over the years. You know, for each of us, along the way of our faith journey, there are sometimes things that we've been taught that at some point are just no longer useful to us. And maybe they clutter up the mind and we have to let go of them to enter our best season of relationship with God. But there are also things that I believe from the depths of my heart with great, great conviction. And these fierce convictions shape who I am as a person, as a Christian, as a pastor, as a leader. These are things that, that, that flow out of me, right? Because they are so closely connected with who I am. And so the first is about who God is and who we are. I believe so deeply that God is love and that God is good. There are hard, sad, and traumatic things that happen in life. There are, there are unjust things that happen in life. But I am so deeply convinced that God is love and God is good. And that through all of that, in the midst of any heartache, in the midst of any hardship, that God is there, that God will never leave us, and that God loves us through it all. And as part of this, I am convicted that we are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. That this means that we are also capable of love, because God is love. It means that we are good that we are beautiful, that we are beloved children of God, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Because if we are created in the image of God, then we literally resemble God. We look like God. We reflect God. St. Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man or woman. We'll add that in, right? Fully alive. I love this quote. Because the Hebrew word for glory is Shekinah, and the evidence of the Shekinah glory of God is all throughout the Old and New Testament. And, and the glory of God, it has, you know, sometimes we kind of theorize it too much, and we make it sort of like, oh, it's like the angelic choir singing in this, you know, huge stone cathedral with, like, full of statues, right? And that's the glory of God. No, actually, we are the glory of God. We're the glory of God. And when we are fully alive, we are fully the glory of God. It has this, this, this connotation that we are to be full of life, abundant, right? And that when we are so full of life, that is when we are God's glory. So God is love, and God is good, 
We're created in the image of God, and when we are fully alive, we are the glory of God. And this leads me to my second fierce conviction. I believe so strongly in the Incarnation. I have to tell you all, this is my very favorite Christian doctrine. I love it. And I love it in part because I think it is one of the things that makes Christianity unique. You know, there are many things that we have in common with other religions, right? And this is good because it, it, it gives us common ground and it makes it so that we can work together and, and be part of bringing good into our world together. And yet for me, the incarnation is one of the doctrines of Christianity that, that is part of why I choose to be a Christian. Part of how I live out my relationship with God. That we believe in a God who is so great, right? So cosmic, so big, so beyond all that we could understand that there is always an element of mystery to who God is. But we also believe that God became one of us became closer to us than our very selves. That that God who is transcendent and so large is also so close. Inside our hearts, present in the life and ministry of Jesus in such a unique way, and that that God loves us and cares enough about us to live our human life. To know the ups and downs, to know joy, to know weeping, to experience it all for us, with us. This is amazing to me. I think this is in part what this scripture from Philippians that Robin read for us this morning is about. You know, I think that scripture is sometimes kind of misused to argue this, like, strict doctrinal point. But actually what I think this scripture is really focusing on is it's about how we are to have the mind of Christ, right? And so it's telling us what the mind of Christ is. Because Paul is talking to this community in Philippi, he's teaching them how to follow Jesus, how to live as people of the way, and he's telling them that not only are they to bind together in unity and humility, but they are to have the mind of Christ. And then he goes on to say, and this was the mind of Christ, when Christ took on human form, right? When Christ gave up being there, with God in the heavens, right, and came to the earth. The mind of Christ is one of self-emptying, of crossing borders, and becoming like the other. Because even though Christ was in the form of God, he didn't grasp at that power. He didn't exploit that status, but rather he humbled himself, he emptied himself to become like us. And to do that, he crossed the biggest, most closed border of all, right? We hear about people who die and cross the border into heaven. It's not that often about people who come the other way, who cross the border, heaven to earth. And Jesus does that for us. And so for us to be of the same mind of Christ, for me, this means two things. 
And the first is that we are to become like others by crossing borders. That we become like others to love them and walk with them to experience their deep pains and deep joys. And isn't that, in fact, what Jesus does? He becomes like us to experience it all. There are many in our lives who may be others to us. You can define that in many ways. Someone with opposing political views. Maybe someone with a different skin tone or language or culture or religion. Maybe someone of a different gender or sexual orientation. Maybe someone with more or less money than you. Or maybe someone with more or less education. We all have that space where we say, hmm, I know about this other. I can love these others. I don't know about this other. And part of the challenge to us from Christ in this, this beautiful hymn from Philippians is that there's no one that we are not called to love with the love of God. And we don't always understand the other. We don't always know what to say or how to interact with the other. But Jesus' incarnation of God's great love for us compels us to also incarnate God's love for others. And so just as Jesus crossed that border from heaven to earth, we are also called to cross the borders that we put up, that society puts up, those places where we divide ourselves from other people. We are called to love that much and that deeply. So the other thing that I believe it means to be of the same mind of Christ is that it means we are not to think too low of ourselves. So bear with me, because God, I believe, is lifting us up through this scripture. Because by coming down to our level, Christ is lifting us up to his, right? Christian narrative has all too often been told in a way that, that human beings are just the scum, right? That we're bad, that we're not good. That's not true. We're made in the image of God. We're good. We've gotten that part of the story wrong. We're capable of love because God is love. And by coming down to earth, God lifts us up and helps us find that place of abundant life and to live into the fullness of life, fully alive, so that we are the glory of God. And this brings me to my last fierce conviction. And that is that I love, I love the United Methodist understanding of Scripture. Our doctrinal standards say that the, the many books of the Bible contain all things necessary for salvation. That's it. All things necessary for salvation. We are not people who say that we are literalists. We are not people who say... We believe in the infallibility of these words. We believe, certainly, that these are inspired words by God, but they were written down by human beings. And in that book, 
I always like to think of, not only, is, not only does that book contain all things necessary for salvation, it also contains all things necessary for destruction. And because of our Methodist understanding of Scripture, right, we believe context matters. We believe that the, the culture was originally written in matters. And that as we discern what God is trying to say to us through those sacred words, that we bring all of life to that, right? That we use the quadrilateral, right? Have you heard of this? Scripture, experience, tradition, reason, right? Reason, we use these amazing minds that God has given us. We are thinking people. We can use science, we can use our critical thought, we can use research, we can do, uh, like, amazing. Because God gave us this giftedness for a reason. But we also use our experience, right? And we're honest about that. We're honest about it. That who we are and the experiences we've had in life, it plays into what we understand God to be saying to us through those sacred words. But we can also use the experiences of others to help us understand those sacred words. And then tradition, right? The tradition, the historical traditions of the church, but also the traditions with a little T, the traditions of the global church all over the world. All of that helps us understand what God is saying to us through Scripture. And this means that I think it's harder, but it's more honest. Because it means that we can't take like two or three one little line verses and then put them together to say what we think. And then say, well, God thinks that. No, actually, we have to struggle with these stories. We have to struggle with these sacred texts. And then we enter into that conversation with God and one another through scripture with humility. I think it's more honest. And it brings about a faith that is deeper, that is more nuanced, and that can uh, enter into conversation with respect with others. And so, you've gotten a few dots of my life today, both personally and also some of my own fierce convictions. And so my invitation to you as you begin to connect those dots is to also do a little introspection. To think for yourselves as you enter this week, what are your own fierce convictions? What are your passions? What, what in your own view, what are the world's greatest needs? What are your greatest gifts? Where do they meet? And amidst anything else that you may have cast aside along the journey of faith, what is it that you hold most dear? What are your convictions? What are the things that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt about who God is, about who we are, about who you are, about how God works in the world? What are those fierce convictions of your heart? Thanks be to God. Amen.